thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I'm Damien Christoph. And I'm Brett Hill. And Lawrence is still on holidays. <laughs> he's amazing, isn't he? Just seems to be going forever. I've completely lost track of where he is, Damo. He's just know. somewhere on this planet. It's like where's Wally? Around. We should paint yeah. him in yellow and white. Oh, what is it? Red and white? <laughs> I'm going to Photoshop that for the Facebook. Page. We should. We'll put a little. We'll put a little. Uh, a little Lawrence face on a where's Wally photo. That'll be fantastic. We might find him. It'll be easier to find him that way. Far out. Hey, we're on a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into your lives, Bretto. And tonight we're joined by a very special person. In fact, uh, she's changing the world of psychology. We're joined by a girl with three names, Carrie Thompson Casey, and she's a clinical psychologist who's worked in a variety of mental health settings, you know, both public and private for 20 years. She practices in northwest New South Wales, delivering psychological therapy to clients referred with diagnoses such as anxiety, depression, chronic pain. We see all that all the time, don't we, Bredo? And other significant stresses that have a negative impact on people's lives. Um, in addition to being a clinical psychologist, Carrie has been involved in the health and wellness industry, which is unusual for a psychologist. So I want to find out more about it. For many years, and in 2011, opened an organic and health food store called Three Apples Organics. Carrie, you might need a chat about having forage in your uh, in your shop if you haven't already got it. Carrie also has a new podcast. <laughs> this is a chance. <laughs> got to plug it. The Abnormal Psychologist is a new podcast. Uh, it's giving you the how-to to get the best out of you, which I love the sound of. We should get that on the couch. And on the podcast, she chats about everyday mind, body, and life matters to inspire listeners to have the life they want. Wow, this is long. And there are discussions and interviews around how to improve everyday mental health, nutrition, movement, and exercise, as well as health and lifestyle product reviews. That's full on. You are a busy girl, Carrie. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. Thank you. It's it's so great to be here. It's such a thrill to be talking to you guys. It's great to have you on here. And you are obviously quite quite clearly changing the face, not only of psychology, but of health and wellness. And you're doing a great job at it. Tell us more about how did you get into doing what you're doing? Okay, well, yeah, thanks. Um, I'm really feeling lucky to be able to share my story with your listeners. Um, so the story, well, I'm from Moree in northwest New South Wales and about 15 years ago I met my husband Tony and it was love at first sight and we moved back to my lovely hometown of Moree to get married and settle into country life. Uh, I've always wanted to be a psychologist. I was totally intrigued by human behaviour and the path to becoming a psychologist is relatively lengthy. It's about, uh, well, it is four years at uni, and then you have to do two year, two years supervised experience. I then went on to complete a Master of Psychology and become endorsed as a clinical psychologist. So then, about 10 years ago, I fell pregnant with our first child, and I'd opened the private practice by then, and everything was going to plan, and we were happy and content in our grown-up life. Then on the morning of my very first day of maternity leave, everything changed. I ended up having an emergency seizure and my son's health was about to go on a roller coaster ride. Uh, we had all sorts of birth complications and then we had severe eczema. He had excoriated skin from head to toe. And then he was diagnosed with life-threatening food allergies. Uh, then he had chickenpox at eight months on top of his already open and bloody and infected skin. And I started to become a real worrier. I was worrying all the time, you know, what if he goes, what if he goes into anaphylaxis? What if his allergies get worse? And I was starting to, 
do things that were unusual, like I was really avoiding going out and not wanting him to take him anywhere. Um, and I started to feel like I couldn't cope. And that was what I was constantly saying to myself is I can't do this. I can't cope. And my son, he barely slept. He would cry all the time. Sometimes it was even hard to hold him because of his infected and painful skin. And then one night when he was about 15 months old, he had a fever and I put him to bed and I remember trying to work really hard saying kids get fevers all the time, don't panic. And I was telling myself I'm overreacting and just calm down. And so I tried to settle myself down to sleep and then I heard an alarm and the alarm was his baby monitor and that alarm goes off when the baby's breathing can't be detected. And so I ran in and grabbed him and he was breathing but very shallowly and we raced him to the hospital. And the next thing I know, we're being airlifted to Sydney and my son was in intensive care. It was pretty scary. But being in intensive care for children was not what I expected. It was so quiet and so calm. I realized that for my son and the other children and the other families and for myself that I really needed to pull myself together and I had to access years of study and research and experience in my own head. I just needed to sieve through and start to utilize some strategies. I worked my way through and found some key strategies that really worked, strategies that I was using as a mum, not as a clinical psychologist. And thankfully, my son's health did improve and we turned home. But I sort of had a really good dose of understanding the impact of anxiety. I started to realise how much anxiety had been getting in my way, and not just since my son was born, but I could see it probably had been threaded there throughout my life. But now I had found some really useful strategies to contain it and manage it, most of the time anyway. I still had bad days. Um, and I could see my clients' experiences differently through that experience and understand the impact or disability that everyday mental health issues can have on us, uh, holding us back from pursuing our goals. I started to share um, more focused strategies then with my clients and I, and the the amazing thing was I could see this change in their faces as they kind of got it or the, the penny dropped. Um, I'm talking here about clients, though, with mild to moderate anxiety, not acute or per pervasive disorders. And these strategies might not work for everyone. But I could see for a lot of the clients that they could start to manage their worry and they could see themselves being less restricted by the self-talk and the what-ifs, the, the self-doubt, self the avoiding things and and that's why I recently started the podcast, The Abnormal Psychologist, to share everyday mental health management strategies with others. And the tagline is giving you the how-to to get the, the best out of you. And the abnormal in the title, it reflects imperfection, that I'm kind of a woman, a wife and a mother well before I'm a clinical psychologist. And therefore, I have worries and bad days too, just like everybody else. However, um, I do have that clinical knowledge and experience, which allows me to draw on strategies that I have seen assist others, you know, right before me, my eyes in the in the counselling room. And, and of course, me, they've helped me too. Um, and on the podcast, we chat about everyday mind, body and life matters um, so that people can achieve their goals and they're not getting in the way of themselves, so to speak. Um, and I think one of the most important things about, you know, going on some of these journeys is, is is knowing ourselves. And that's a really important part to prevention is 
and a part important part of mental wellness is knowing ourselves and understanding how we filter our experiences through rules and beliefs and how we manage our reactivity to triggers in our lives a, a while back actually i was listening to the radio and i heard how i was you know back when i was the great and powerful was being made as the prequel to the wizard of oz and the presenter was interviewing Professor Ellen Spitz. Um, she's an expert on the Wizard of Oz novel by Frank Baum. And I remember thinking how she was introduced and wondering how Professor Spitz made a living from being an expert on the Wizard of Oz. But then I also became intrigued by her analysis of the story. She talked about Dorothy and her interactions with the Wicked Witch. Um, I'm not sure if you guys remember the, or know the story, but when the Wicked Witch captures Dorothy, the Wicked Witch sees the mark of the Good Witch, which is a kiss on her forehead from the good witch and and the wicked witch knows that this kiss is protective so the witch kind of backs off initially Ooh, but then persists with no well wow. it's, yeah it's very subtle but it's more more relevant in the book but um but the wicked witch persists with her scheming and concludes that since dorothy doesn't know the value of the kiss and how to use her protection or power or even understand that she has power then Dorothy can still be enslaved. So what Miss Spitz talked about was that Frank Baum opens our eyes to the tremendous value of self-knowledge, to know thyself. And this made a lot of sense to me as that is essentially the role that I play as a clinical psychologist, which is facilitating this self-knowledge. And I, you know, it's funny, like I, I don't go to church every Sunday, but there's something about regular periods of reflection and feeling part of a community or being led with a sense of hope. Mm. Unfortunately, the abandonment of sort of faith and religion has meant that many of us don't have that that period of quiet or almost medita- meditation-like experience. And we miss opportunities to gain insight into our lives or to have a look at what's working or not working. So, Carrie, I'm going to jump in and ask you about that because I'm really curious about the insight bit. And so, for you, obviously, when you were starting to go through some challenges, you know, you had a huge advantage on a lot of other people because you had learned a lot of different strategies that you could use and you'd seen those strategies be implemented. But in, in spite of that, I'm really curious to know whether as you were working on that stuff yourself, did you purely do that by yourself or did you go and find someone else to help you with those strategies as well i think in the moment like in the like the icu um i i didn't have anywhere to go like it was kind of me and i didn't want to leave his bedside and i kind of liken it to being a bit like a dentist that it's kind of like a bit of a one-way street when you go to uni you know like even the best dentist will still have a cavity but we sure as hell don't expect him to do his own fillings you know so it's kind of the Mm -hmm. same for a psychologist in that you know, even though we learn these great skills um, and it's, you know, quite therapeutic and we can see mm. shifts and change in our clients, it doesn't mean that we're these knowledgeable sages that know everything about everything and it's yeah. kind of very one one directional. So, I guess I had to sift through and say, right, okay, the first thing I need to do is calm down. I need to calm down my mind and body because everything's racing at 100 miles an hour. And so, going back through what I had seen work in the therapeutic setting for clients and, you know, other experiences that I had at workshops and 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 just calmed down was the, the very first port of call. Um, yeah, so that's, that's probably what I learned in that first moment. But as a psychologist, um, we're required or a clinical psychologist, we're required to have supervision and that's a minimum of 10 hours per year mm. and that's usually with a more senior psychologist and so I've been very grateful for that 
as a self-reflection process, not just for um, working with cases, but also our uh, psychologists' own experiences, um, both in the therapeutic room and, and outside. Um, so, Kerry, one of the topics I was really keen to get you in to talk about is is rural health, because rural health, and particularly rural mental health, is a massive, massive challenge in our country at the moment. Uh, we're seeing, you know, rates of uh, suicide, particularly in the country, that have really gone quite high. So, I'd love you to talk a bit about that. I'd love to know from your perspective why that's going on, um, and and perhaps you know what you think we can do to help with that, and and hopefully from a bit of a holistic point of view, because obviously the thing we love about you is you have got that holistic approach to to the mental health as well. Yeah, I I think some of the so the most common risk factors that we see in rural areas is of course geographical isolation. So the more remote you go, uh, the more likely that people are going to be affected by issues of isolation. But one of the other vulnerabilities is climate and economic change because it's so unpredictable. You know, the environment is particularly unpredictable at the moment. But um, these climate changes and economic changes means that farmers and other people who rely on the farmers to also have an income. So the the traders and the grocery store, everyone in these small towns, it all sort of flows on from one person to another, that this unpredictability um, can be quite distressing. But the social stigma is also there, but I think there's been a lot of work done through lots of different initiatives, um, you know, on a local level, state level and, and federal level to improve the stigma around mental health. I think another issue would probably be depopulation of rural areas. Um, and so that what that mean, it means is that often you might find professionals moving to town um, and then issues around whether there's what types of high schools there are or different um, needs of those families that you'll have professionals leaving town and so they might take with them a, a whole service just by, by leaving town. Um, I think another another issue there then leads on to the limited access to support and health services. Um, so there's not always... I think people can take for granted just how many doctors, surgeries, doctors, um, other allied health services um, are available. You know, sometimes some of the teams, um, and I use the word teams loosely, I've been on a, a few teams where, where, in fact, I was the only person on that team. Um, so there are quite limited um, health services out here as well and, and less help-seeking, I think. Um, but probably the scariest thing above all that is access to means, Um in terms of risk factors and, and suicide risk factors. So access to things like firearms um, is a lot higher out here as well. There's some pretty scary stuff there. There's some really worrying stuff, and we're seeing it here in, in Melbourne um, and probably also in Sydney too, I suppose, high rates of suicide. And and it's happening, it, you know, it's seemingly at even younger ages these days. So it's not it's not even kind of mid-30s or early 40s these days. It's, it's even younger. We're seeing it with, with adolescents and teens, and it's very, very concerning, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, I th- and and also amongst males as well. And, I mean, the, the data changes for rural and remote depending on what state that you're looking at, um, but certainly... Um, the suicide rates are much higher for um, remote young males compared to their non-remote peers. Um, But having said that, I guess on a more positive note, is in the private practice, 
probably when we first opened back in 2005, I would have said maybe maybe 10% of my clients would have been males. And then we ran some stats again in 2011, like really some serious, like we always look at our stats, but in 2011, we looked really closely at males and and it had gone up to 35%. And I would say now, yeah, it's been really great to see. And I would say that now that it would be almost 50-50. So maybe people would... Yep. What, what has driven that? Like, what, Are there any particular strategies that you've been able to use to help? Because we find that in not just in mental health but in health in general. I mean, if you look at, for example, our Wellness Guys audience, if you look at the audience at our Wellness Summits, they are predominantly female. So, And we would love to help more males get into and be more concerned about their health and take a more proactive approach to their health. So, well, Could be because sort of you're a good-looking guy though, Brent. <laughs> you know, it could be something like that, you know. Dumb it down a little bit. It's the bare feet. It's the bare feet that, that, that used to work all right when I was in Sydney too. So, uh, <laughs> but what sort of strategies can we use, Carrie, to help get blokes to start thinking about their health and to start implementing these strategies and start taking an interest in their mental health? What did you guys do that worked or what do you think drove that change? I think what drove the change, I hate to say it, was the women behind the men Um, because we focused, we started to realize that um, sometimes um, sounding like we're an an ag and nagging the men in our lives to go and see someone often is met with resistance. So a way around that, um, interestingly, we found is to look at the physical symptoms associated with some of the mental health issues, you know, whether it's sleep problems, uh, muscle tension or feeling lightheaded. Um, it could be heart palpitations. It depends, you know, depression's probably more characterized by low mood and loss of interest, appetite changes, things like that. Uh, fatigue, whereas anxiety has mo- more prominent physiological symptoms. So your heart racing, feeling lightheaded and feeling shaky, that cortisol and adrenaline causing that shakiness. So often we would say to women is pitch it from that angle. So talk to the men in your life and say, gosh, you know, you're getting that lightheadedness and a bit of shakiness in your hands, perhaps you should go and see the doctor. And obviously confidentiality is an issue for GPs, particularly in a rural area, and it's quite difficult. But, you know, wives can go and talk to the GP about their concerns, about their partner. Um, but, But certainly focusing on the physical aspects of mental health has been helpful in our experience to get them into the GP in the first instance. And I guess also part of the skill of the clinician that they go and see is how they go about that that initial assessment Mm. and and, and making sure that they feel comfortable and understand that, you know, we can't read their mind and and our biggest concern is to make sure that we can minimise these physical symptoms so they can get back out on the tractor or get back out to work and, and feel free of that. Back on the horse, so to speak. Back on the horse, yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, jeepers, far out. That's a pretty heavy topic. Now, I just want to go somewhere a little bit lighter. Is that okay? Yeah. Because that's pretty. It's, I'm, I'm feeling a bit sad. But let's it's let's heavy. just pick it up. Health food store. Yeah. How did you get into? Is that did you get to a health food health food store just to spread the message more? Was it to kind of break down some barriers? Was it to kind of did you notice that this would be a great way to actually start communication or conversation? What, how did you do it? wholesale food for the family? Yeah, wholesale, yeah, prices. Yeah, yeah. wholesale prices. That's right. Um, yeah. Well, wholesale forage. Yeah. Um, Ooh, no, good. it was. Like that. <laughs> um, well, I've always been interested in organics. A friend actually had a uh, fairly serious health issue occur many years ago, probably 20, 30 years ago, and she consulted a naturopath then. And I remember her just, you know, you know, being very happy about that. And I went and met this fellow, and I 
thought he was fantastic and learned all about macronutrients and commercial versus organic and so had always had an interest in that area. Um, and in fact, when I was living overseas, when I met my husband, Tony, they would tease me because I had absolutely no money and they would go and buy chicken soup and rice and I would buy four organic tomatoes for the same money and they would tease me going, you know, get something more substantial. But I was adamant about my four organic tomatoes. But um, I think the main reason why it happened now in 2011 was, as I mentioned, we have a son with food allergies and including anaphylaxis to some foods. And living out here, we really struggled to find find a consistent supply of safe and healthy foods for him. So in 2011, we opened the store with a focus on organic produce, whole foods, food as medicine and allergy-friendly foods. And and yeah, I found the two are actually quite complementary, you know, uh, the practice in the store. I really enjoy working with people to improve their everyday mental health um, and a focus on mood and food and wellness um, and, and understanding how um, how if you can get your food right and your movement right and your sleep right, that's a really good place to start from to give you the energy to then do the hard work that, that happens in therapy because therapy is hard work. I mean, I would love to say it's a magical experience to come and see me, but it's, it's just not. And it's the work that people do outside of sessions based on what we discuss in session. But that's where, you, where that's where the magic happens is when the person feels able to just start to put some of the strategies in place, whether it's getting out of bed in the morning and getting dressed um, or whether it's being able to approach someone at work. You know, it's 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 different for anybody. But certainly, you know, the, the store's been um, a, a complement to the work that I do. And we've had some, you know, amazing support. Um, we've been open three years, but recently we actually started talking to Sam Gowing, who was amazing, and she's helped us to grow three apples and um, and our, our products that we have. Um, and she's been a fantastic mentor. And actually, speaking of mentors, I've been doing some work with Marcus Pierce and oh, the Exceptional Life Blueprint. Yes, he's been amazing. And, Love and he's helped me take a lot of action as well towards towards my goals um, around balancing the two, the, the clinical psychologist and my passion and interest in nutrition and, and food and and. It's really been um, the Blueprint and Sam, um, Marcus and Sam, that have helped me um, launch the Abnormal Psychologist podcast. That's and, fantastic. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, it fits in so well. I've actually just spent the weekend at a seminar, which is our National Development Forum for the Chiropractors Association, and we've had bucket loads of neurology and all talking about brain function and how yeah, chiropractic yeah. adjustments can influence that. But one of the things, Dr. Paul Noon, who's one of our absolute best functional neurologists in the chiropractic field, and he was talking about um, neuroinflammatory disorders and how they're kind of the next big thing in this field and how everyone's talking about it. And, and he was talking about how diet plays such an important role in that and that inflammatory effect. So it's just tying in perfectly with what you're saying, Carrie. Yeah, and and I think I mean like one of the fancy words we use in the psychology world is the diastasis stress model. You know, kind of looking at um, the perfect storm of things that come together. And I think it is a bit tricky to sort of say, well, if you do this, then this will happen. But sometimes yeah. someone might have an underlying health issue or mental health issue, and combined with poor diet, or or they're just not going outside and getting some sun and some movement, that that 
then manifests as something quite pervasive. So I think it it can be a complex interaction, but certainly, um, you know, I've even had clients referred that have sat in front of me and I've, I've said, you don't need me. <laughs> you need to go and you need to see a naturopath or a nutritionist or somebody and, and let's see where we go from there. And, you know, I follow up with them in three months' time and, and they're feeling much better because they may have been anemic or, or yeah. the behavioural problems in the child were associated, you know, with other issues, not, not necessarily purely diet. But, but related to um, want, just wanting more time with mum and dad and, and needing to eat a, you know, a, a little bit better diet. What, and you know. That is so exciting from our perspective, Carrie, because you know, we've all sort of heard stories and, and seen some of the research suggesting you know, the, the high rates of prescriptions for, mm-hmm. for adults and kids in our society and, and you know, how that can be just that first point of call to go straight to that without necessarily taking into account all those other factors. Um, so it's fantastic to hear you talking about you know, balancing all of those factors, and and sometimes it is just a nutritional intervention, or, or whatever, or and often a combination of those that's required. So it's really exciting to hear you taking that approach. Yeah, I think um, like you know, sometimes there is definitely a place for medication, and I think one of the tricky things, particularly in a rural area, is we don't have pediatricians on every corner, or and so it can be really tricky for parents to navigate that decision making but certainly that's sort of part of my role is to say look I'm not really sure or I'm not an expert in this or that but let's look across the board at that other factors that may be impacting on your on your child or on yourself you know what what can we do lifestyle wise that might put us in a better spot to make therapy easier you know as I said you know diet sleep movement um yeah it's, it's Definitely complementary. Yeah. yeah. And now, Carol, we're getting down to about the last five minutes. And, and I think what's going to be really important and what our listeners would love to hear from you is some strategies that they can take away with them. Um, you know, obviously talking about the strategies that you used in terms of your, you know, your challenges uh, and also, I guess, just some of the challenges that we see commonly in society, whether that's, you know, anxiety, whether that's stress around family, around time, around money, you know, all of those really common things that people are seeing in our society. What tools would you offer? What, what suggestions do you have? Where do people start if they're trying to improve their, their mental outlook, their resilience, their positivity around that? Okay. Well, um, I think in the last 20 years of working with children and, and adults and families and, you know, it doesn't really matter whether you're, you know, rich or poor or cool or not cool, you know, everyone has bad days and we all face adversity. adversity. Um, and even though we see people in all parts of the world facing tragedies, sometimes it's what we're what's happening in our own lunchbox that's the hardest thing we've ever faced, you know. So whether it's illness or a bully at work or a sick child or feeling like nothing matters, um, what I've learned and observed is to never underestimate someone's resilience. You know, don't underestimate how much they can cope with. Um, and I and I don't think I don't actually think there's a real secret to resilience. I think we see it in people every day. You know, um, you know, even though some of us feel that happiness and inner strength is really unachievable, um, you know, I think it's there to be. You know, just look around at the people that seem to be doing well. You know. It might be that they do pack their lunch, something as simple as that, rather than relying on skipping a meal or um, or getting something from the corner store, or they have the bottle of water beside them, or they're more open to experience. So if someone says, hey, would you like to come for a walk? They'll say yes. So often when our client says, why do I have to work so hard to be happy? 
I'll say to them, well, actually happy people are already doing the work, but it's just become a habit. So finding healthier habits around activity, finding things where you really feel most like yourself, you know, whether it's baking or woodwork, spending time doing activities where you feel like that's your genius, that's that's when you feel most alive and most energised. So I think getting your food right, drinking plenty of water, managing your sleep, and if people are having problems with their sleep, you know, they should certainly talk to their GP. And GP is always the first port of call because they'll often know what services are available in the area and they might even be able to direct people to funded sessions or, or you know, whether it's no fees or um, or they can go through Medicare where they can get a, a rebate. But certainly sleep and food and water and movement really set people up to be in a a better place to start to listen to themselves because we all know I mean if you only have to look at a tired and hungry two-year-old to know the impact of not sleeping well and not eating well I think the only difference is that as adults we're not really it's not really appropriate for us to throw ourselves on the floor and have a tantrum but in essence we can't (laughs) but in essence I think we kind of feel the same we do feel like we want to throw ourselves on the floor and say this is not working for me and this is too hard and how do I make it better Um, but I think going to see a psychologist or participating in a workshop that teaches you how to calm down and to use relaxation strategies and also looking into scripts some people have some really unhelpful scripts that operate in their mind lots of chatter um, that that holds them back, things like I'm not good enough or I can't do this or it's too much or too hard. Sometimes we need to rethink what we're saying to ourselves. But again, talk to your GP and they might tell you who your friendly neighbourhood psychologist is and I'm sure they'd be more than happy to work through your listeners' um, issues that they might have. Nice, Carrie. Far out. We got through 30 minutes. That was very, very easy. And you can talk. I tell you what, Carrie, it's soothing to listen to you. I feel like I've just had a psychology session. It's fantastic. I'm worried about not having anything to say. Didn't I didn't exactly struggle. I know. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, Carrie, it's been a pleasure having you on our, on our Wellness Guys podcast tonight. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been fantastic. And people, everybody, as you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize that psychologists were so nice. Well, they are and Carrie's one of them and so if you want more from Carrie of course you should be tuning in to listen to her podcast The Abnormal Psychologist it should be on the Wellness Couch I think so we'll better have some conversations about that one Um, if you want to find out more about Carrie you can go to her website you can go to www.carriethompsoncasey.com now it's T-H-O-M-S-O-N for Thompson so C-A-R-R-I-E then Thompson Casey C-A-S-E-Y.com and you'll uh, you'll find out all about what Casey Sorry, Carrie's up to see three names got me. I thought it was only going to be Lawrence who was going to get got, but I got got. How about that? Oh, dear. Now, everybody, make sure you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com, The Wellness Guys, and tell us what you thought of this episode. Share this podcast with your friends, especially if you feel like they need a psychology tune-up and their family and other strangers you think need a wellness update. Subscribe to us on iTunes, and while you're there, leave us a five-star rating. Bretto, Lawrence, and I love them. Leave us comments, too, because we answer them, we love them, we read them. And until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives. Lead by example, and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Guys Show. Hi, it's Damien Christoph here. If you're loving the Wellness Couch podcast, then you'll absolutely love our special once-only free four-part webinar series starting Thursday, October 30. 
Join me and my Wellness Guys co-host plus Marcus Pierce from 100 Not Out and Inside the Champion's Mind as we dive deep into the hot topics of wellness over four consecutive weeks. Brett Hill will kick us off by showing you how to be fab and fit in five. I'll be presenting What the F and discussing the big bad F words when it comes to food. Lawrence Tam will leave you inspired with a magnificent mindset and MP will reveal his 10-step formula to mastering your life. These webinars are absolutely free and they go for an hour each and they take place every Every Thursday night from October 30 until November 20. To get access, you must sign up. So simply go to www.thewellnesscouch.com or check out The Wellness Couch on Facebook. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.